when I became a mother and the work deepened and changed. Part of that is because if you're going to spend the time on a project, it better be worth it. It better be important. I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Nora Pfeffer is a writer, director, actor, and producer based in Chicago and New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, Nora co-founded Firelight Theater Workshop, dedicated to creating innovative theater experiences. Nora is currently working on her debut feature film, Another Happy Day, planned to release in 2023. In today's podcast, Nora and I discussed how she has navigated postpartum and her relationship to motherhood, acting, filmmaking, money-making, and her artistic practice, as well as how her postpartum experiences specifically influenced the creation of her upcoming film, currently in production, called Another Happy Day. I sort of had everything that you'd want on paper for an easy transition to motherhood. So I had very high expectations, and I was really optimistic about what that transition would be like. I've now learned that tempered expectations is probably the way to go. So I was working on a wonderful play on the south side of Chicago, and I was pregnant. And I got a phone call from a casting office at a theater in Chicago where I'd never worked. I'd always wanted to. I'd been working steadily, but I'd never gotten a call like this where the casting director said, we'd like to hire you for this show. And I hadn't auditioned or put myself out there for the project. So it was an exciting new moment professionally to be offered a role without having auditioned for it. And so we had a really great conversation and we started to move forward. And then the second conversation, I said, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. And in the same breath, the casting director said, well, shoot, I don't think it's going to work out. And she was a mother of four, I learned. And I think as part of that conversation, she was relating to me. She was like, I know how it is. It's going to be so hard. It just makes sense. And I was completely complicit in that conversation. I said, oh, you're probably right. Now I look back on that and I think I was just only pregnant. Like I didn't even have a baby. I was going to be six months pregnant. It had no bearing on the content of the show or the character, but I was a participant in withdrawing myself from professional opportunity and from my world, my community, my career. And it really took me a long time to realize that first of all, that was strange and that I had been on board with the idea of removing myself from the project. Now, it turns out that motherhood is extremely challenging. Now, pregnancy is a completely different thing. You still have a lot of independence and control over your time. But part of the change for me becoming a mother and being an actor was that I had a different kind of appetite for what I wanted to do creatively. It wasn't even just the logistics of, oh, how am I going to get to that audition? Will I have someone to care for the baby? But really, what do I want to do? And I realized it took a little while, but it started to become clear that the kind of work I wanted to do had to do with being the engine behind the work. So instead of being plugged into something that I really had no control over, 
as an actor in particular, you're hired, you're told where to go, when to go there. You're usually saying words that you didn't write. That's sort of the art of it. And the fun of it is that adapting to this different world. But I didn't have the same interest in that and the same appetite for it. I wanted to make the thing if I was going to do anything. I wanted more control, I think. You know, you lose so much control having a kid, having a baby. So I think I was looking for creative opportunities where I could really have a stronger hand in it. So I started writing more and I didn't audition nearly as much. I moved. I really needed big changes to sort of absorb the change of becoming a mother. So when I moved, I moved to New Hampshire and there is not really a market in the same way as Chicago for being an actor. So I really had to craft the thing. And I found a partner and we started an experimental theater company and we write our own work and we make films too. And it's been incredibly artistically rewarding. And the only way that that has been possible is by being the engine for it. I don't think the kinds of things that I have wanted to do and have done have had to be on very flexible schedules, have had to be in collaboration with other people who really can appreciate how the balance can be so difficult of having children and making things. So it's been an incredible discovery to make the thing as opposed to rely on others to hire me for the thing, <laughs> although it's so much work. So I guess what's coming up for me is I'm curious if you feel that before you became a parent, if you would have gone in the same path, like if that trajectory was there for you, or it really feels like it was a direct split. I think if I imagine if I hadn't become a mother, I probably would be climbing the same ladder in Chicago, which I often think about. What if? What if I really had? Where would I be working and what kinds of projects would I be working on in Chicago or somewhere else in New York or LA or wherever? Had I not had that interruption or juncture, I think I probably would be digging deeper into being a professional actor. And a lot of times I'm really grateful for the change, but sometimes I really miss it. There's a simplicity to it. And it's also what I think I'm best at. I love acting. Fortunately, I discovered that I love directing too. And that has been a really compatible change with parenthood because I am a bit more in control of a project and the commitment that it is and the time involved. So I can still incorporate all of my love for actors and work as a director. There were probably some signs of starting my own enterprises, film and theater, before becoming a parent. I had created a web series, co-created a web series and written and co-written and directed it. So I think I was starting to show some signs of wanting to make my own work. But I think I would be working on the stage a little bit more often if I wasn't a mother. <laughs> Nora and I were introduced through my good friend, Eugene Park, who is also a filmmaker and community activist. He talked with me in the past about how the filmmaking world is not friendly to parents with young children. There are so many challenges specific to filmmaking schedules that do not align with caregiving needs. I asked Nora to expand on that issue, as well as how she balances parenthood with her work as an artist. I'd really love to hear how you came to dig in so specifically on the postpartum experience and why that was so compelling to you in your journey of creating creative work. Yeah. Well, first, I just, I agree with you so much, Caitlin, because 
I think at least what you were talking about and sort of these choosing between being a professional and being a parent, right? Like it's such a missed opportunity. You have all of these highly productive people (laughs) who are in the prime of their professional life. I feel like I'd never became so productive until I became a mother. I thought I was before, but my goodness, the way that I could spend 10 minutes or 30 minutes when I had 10 minutes or 30 minutes to myself, I would get so much done. When my daughter was an infant, when she would finally nap for 20 minutes, I'm running around the house doing things. I'm, time is so incredibly precious that to miss out on that kind of work ethic is actually so short-sighted. These are the people that we actually really need in the workforce. (laughs) And to make it compatible with child rearing, I think is really important. So when I had just become a mother, I think there's something about that soft brain where you're in Mm. and out of sleep and you're not censoring yourself as much. And maybe you're not talking to as many people or as many adults as you were I felt like I had a lot of ideas and the frustration is that they either made no sense or there was nowhere to put them. So for a while in that sort of middle of the night feeding time, I would just have a couple post-its there and just scribble. And a lot of times I could never even read the writing, but there was something sort of generative about that time. And there was no way that I had the time, capacity, energy, or like emotional stability to put any of those ideas into any form. So it wasn't until a year and a half later when I finally, maybe even more than a year and a half, I was living in New Hampshire. And for the very first time, I had three hours of childcare a week where I swapped children with a friend. So I would watch the kids for one morning a week and she would watch our kids for one morning a week. And we did that for years and it was the most wonderful thing. And it was in those three hours a week that I wrote my screenplay. It took time. It took a long time because I had very little of it. But during the time that I had that I really was able to carve out some of that focused energy, it flowed the incubation period kind of paid off, I think. Now, that was years ago now, and the script has taken many, many different iterations, but that was the foundation for it. I really found the story then. I found the form. I knew, even though theater is my foundation, I knew it was a film. So that's when the film began. It's called Another Happy Day, and it follows this new mother, Joanna, with her six-week-old baby. She is delirious, lonely, and very desperate for some company. I think of her relationship with her baby as unrequited love. And I felt this way with my daughter. I loved her desperately and instantly. It took a while to feel any reciprocity. And I wasn't prepared for that. And that was just emotionally devastating because there is so much physical and emotional output and any little bit (laughs) could go a long way. But I think I waited for a really long time for some acknowledgement and for some what I interpreted as love. I think that's pretty destabilizing. This character, Joanna, she tumbles into this friendship with an estranged relative, someone that she can finally connect with. Joanna is a visual artist and her aunt Miriam is a reclusive actress. And both of them are at stages of their life where they're less visible to society. Miriam's in her late 60s, early 70s, and Joanna is a new mother. And both of them have disappeared from the world that they used to take for granted. 
So they're able to connect over that. Now, part of the challenge of this friendship is that they become even less visible to the outside world. They become a little codependent and reclusive together. They're sort of their challenge is to reemerge into the world and embrace the identities that they have. It's a comedy. And part of the reason it's a comedy is one, it kind of tumbled out that way. The characters were funny. They're quick-witted and they're fun to listen to. But also I think the postpartum time is absurd and absolutely ridiculous. And you do the craziest things in order to get your children to sleep. You do, your priorities are so upside down that things you never thought you would do just become complete family culture. Certain things that seem so tiny seem so huge. There's just this incredible, like new set of (laughs) rules of what it means to be human once you have a baby, especially for the first time. So there's this silliness that I really wanted to embrace. And I think there's something welcoming about comedy. I think when we hear postpartum, first of all, even though that's a period of time, we associate it with depression. It's a shorthand for postpartum depression. Now, this character, Joanna, I believe she is experiencing postpartum depression, mild case, a very relatable case. But I think the humor welcomes more people to the table. Come on in. This is going to be fun. This is going to be not what you expect, but it's going to be honest and it's going to be raw. And I hope it rounds out a picture of what it means to be in the postpartum period. I mean, I think it's one of the most invisible times that there is for woman or man. And I think if I had been more exposed to what the postpartum period was, I think my expectations would have been more appropriate. And I think I would have handled it a lot better. But even though I wanted to be a mother and fancied myself up to the task, I think my expectations were so off. And that's what got me so down. (laughs) I had to take a moment because I just absorbed a lot. And I think you just said everything so perfectly that it's hard for me to, I'm not going to dissect anything (laughs) except to say that. One thing you had me thinking about, especially as you mentioned both the word postpartum and how that relates to postpartum depression and also anxiety. I've only learned recently that it's postpartum mood disorder, that that includes anxiety. And the more that I talk to people, the more that I have friends who've gone through this experience, the more that is written about it, the more that it is written both obviously like in a journalistic sense, but also and researched, but also creatively The more that I think that what we're seeing, yes, there are obviously really, really deep clinical cases of depression and anxiety. And at the same time, I feel like modern motherhood in this country, I don't know that I can speak to other countries, but it's certainly in like Western capitalism and certainly in the American moment today is one where, I don't know, I also wonder, I guess going with this is I want to say that I think everyone has a postpartum mood disorder. That's not to minimize obvious ways in which is a true clinical diagnosis, but I think that there are, I guess, just like the way in which we have to live as mothers in this country, like it is just forcing us into positions that are so challenging. And I think that it's interesting when you're talking about bringing humor, it's that look, we're all, again, I think humor is always, right, a place where we share, like, oh, I see that. I think it's important, actually, to be able to let it have light, let it bubble up, because that hasn't been the traditional postpartum trope, right? That's right. Oh, my God, that's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting. I'm excited to see what that looks like in this film and the conversations and like all that can come out of out of the experience of watching the film. At the time of this recording in May of 2022, Nora and I talked about the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. While I felt like this might have taken us down a different path and ultimately chose to edit it out, I did want to bring it up because modern motherhood in the United States means, in part, facing these considerable and avoidable challenges to literal life and death situations our children face by just going to school every day and having to contend with what that means, while also helping our children navigate a world that clearly doesn't prioritize children's safety with grace and gentleness. In future seasons, I hope to do a deeper dive into the specific challenges, like gun violence, that parents have to navigate while also maintaining their artistic careers. Because you mentioned the postpartum mood disorder. So I'm curious your thoughts on that as it pertains to how I'm also describing like modern motherhood Mm. and modern parenting and the pressures that we feel. I just think about anxiety and the ways in which motherhood critically, because we're literally trying to protect our child, right? Like these are biological needs that when I just keep thinking about like, I've said this to my husband because he travels for work. Thankfully, because of COVID and all of that's been happening, he hasn't had to travel that much. But right now when I'm alone in the house with three children at night, there's like this massive amount of fight or flight sort of hormones and whatever, I guess, adrenaline, or I just feel like it's just just the worst experience for me. And I think, well, right. Because imagine if like humans, we're not meant to like, if I were like alone in a cave by myself with my baby and my two other children who aren't capable of caring for themselves and no one's there, that's not how we are biologically prepared, even within the social constructs of what it is to be homo sapiens, right? Like we're not meant to, we aren't meant to mother in this way. So it's not at all surprising that we are feeling this. And yet I don't know that I have an answer. How do we reconstruct what that looks like? So I'm curious as it pertains also to your film, right? It sounds like you're saying postpartum, the way that you experienced it, the way that your character experiences it is so alienating. I just don't know. Have you thought about like what that means, like why and how that relates to the film and your work? It gets me thinking about the economics of it all, which I think you were alluding to before. I mean, this is, and this is what that casting director said to me. It just makes sense. Like how many times have my partner and I said, it just makes sense. It makes sense for him to work like a dog while I take care of the kids because he makes more money than I do. That makes more sense. It makes more sense for me to not get childcare for my toddler because would I be earning that back? Now, I don't necessarily think that's the best equation to use for childcare, but that can often go back to, well, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. And then all of a sudden you have almost half of mothers don't return to the workforce. The last statistic I saw was 43% of mothers don't return to the workforce upon becoming mothers. Now, maybe years and years go by and they do, but that's a staggering dropout of, I'm assuming, like wildly talented and driven people that would be absolutely capable in their jobs, but economically probably doesn't make so much sense. So I do think a restructuring is in order, and, and I don't even know what that looks like. 
But I know we're not close because the pandemic has shown us that we're pretty far from having any sort of balance, even in the best of circumstances. I really consider myself so fortunate on every level. I feel so fortunate. And the pandemic was an incredible backslide for us in terms of our like family structure. And it just made sense for my husband to like work, work, work. And for me to be with the kids, be with the kids, be with the kids until we were both burning out and had no balance. And I think part of why this film has probably been in development and had to take new and different shapes with each revision and each person that's come aboard is that the culture has also shifted. I mean, the pandemic has shed light on parenting problems that aren't even just specific to the mother. I mean, it's wildly, like wildly disproportionately challenging for mothers, I think I can say in a general way. But I think so many men, friends of mine that I spoke to during, or especially early pandemic, were struggling so deeply. I theorized that they were going through a sort of postpartum depression because for the first time, perhaps, their career was interrupted. They had no control over their time, where they could be. They could not share their space. They had to be with their kids more than they wanted to be. And they felt bad about it. It felt bad about feeling that way. There was like new tension everywhere. And I felt like the women, as hard as it was mechanically to go through those early pandemic times, it was exhausting, but it was not a new emotion. I actually felt like it was triggering for me because it brought me back to the postpartum time when I first became a mother. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this doesn't feel good, but it's familiar. That's why it's scary. (laughs) Um, But for many of the men that I was speaking to, it was new and it was unfamiliar and it was a steeper curve to figure out like, oh, who am I now? My identity has shifted. I have to somehow find corners of time and corners of space to do the thing that I either care about or that makes money for me. And so with the film... There's the content of the film and the story of the film that I think is really important. But also, I have an opportunity here as a director and as a producer and writer to create a filmmaking environment that is more compatible with being a working parent. So we're doing something that is, I think it should be completely normal, but unfortunately it's not. We're providing childcare and we're shooting for eight-hour days, which is eight-hour days sounds appropriate, but it's unheard of on a film set, especially an independent film set, where you're trying to get as much done as possible in a pretty short amount of time. So in order for me to make a film like this that is intending to shed the postpartum period and what that really might look like for some people, I have to create an environment where working parents can take the job. That's fantastic. As far as you know, like you said, is that the first time ever in terms of film production? And Oh, that's a good question. I hope not. I hope not. Eight-hour days are rare. But you hear of it from time to time. It's certainly something that I think we should hear of more. (laughs) But people are getting paid the same amount in some scenarios. Some people are working at flat rates and they're either going to work an eight-hour day, a 10-hour day, or a 12-hour day. So how about an eight-hour day? I think we can do this in an eight-hour day. Now, I'm saying that really hopefully because it means that I have to be, as a director, pretty disciplined in what I want to do in a day and pretty prepared. But if we can pull that off, then we can point to this and say, hey, this works. So there's no excuse to not do it, especially on bigger budget projects. This is a very lean budgeted film. So if we can pull it off, then anyone should be able to pull it off. So that's my hope. And because the project is about this period, then I hope we're doubly shedding some light that we need to do more. 
Yeah, I am really impressed. I hope that's not the case in terms of other films, but I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, so how old are your children now? Just turned seven and just turned three. Oh, wow. Okay. So little. And you are going to be filming this summer. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And so what will that look like? Where, like logistically, like how do you do that? I'm really curious. I know it's so many logistics. And here's another thing, like that's part of part of the challenge too, of being the primary caregiver, whoever that is in the family dynamic, there's the time you put in and the physical labor and all that. But there's also this incredible mental gymnastics you have to do to remove yourself from an hour of the day, you know, like, okay, who's going to cover? Who's got it? Who's going to be there? Who's going to pick up? And it's especially in like the freelancey world that I live in, the sort of project to project, no project looks the same. There is no like system in place where it's like, well, we have this coverage at this time. And so business as usual, it's a reinvention of the wheel every time. So lots of calls out for support here while I'm still in New Hampshire and I'm prepping. I'm a little scared when school ends and I need more coverage. But that's always the challenge. When we're in Chicago, we'll be staying with my parents. And that is a huge, huge help. And I'm lucky to be able to do that, to have them. My husband obviously will be there too. He'll be working too. So my parents are not going to be the primary child care givers, but they will absorb so much of that in-between time. It's hard to think about unless you actually are in the grind of mornings and evenings and meals and cleanup and all of these things that are the day that are not work, that are not a paycheck, that are not unwinding, nothing. They're not a break. So we are in the midst of sort of seeking out and contracting nannies and perhaps an agency to provide the childcare either independently, depending on the age of the child for each cast or crew member, or as a group. Some of the kids are similar enough age where they might be doing their childcare together. But it helps me go into the pre-production and prep process knowing that I'm going to be at my parents' house and there will be an absorption of caregiving there. How cool. I was just thinking that if it turns out that there are enough cast and crew members who need that support, that those children also are able to, I don't know if it would be onset or near set, or like, I would assume there would be a lot of overlap in terms of what they're able to see. I feel like it's so infrequent that our children, not that like we need like a bring the kids to work day, but at the same time, especially for women who are in those roles, like it's really nice for them to see you in that role too. And I, you know, I'd be curious to see how that would work out. Yeah. I feel really proud to share my work, especially with my older daughter. She's seven. So she can imagine and appreciate what it means to be a director of theater or film. I think my son at this point just sees my work as a total bummer because it means that I'm leaving the house. (laughs) So maybe if he saw it, maybe if he saw me in action, he'd have a different perspective on it. Like, oh, this is what that means. It's not just that I disappear and I'm not available. I do think it would be a real treat to share that with them. I think that's part of why the work changes too. When I became a mother and the work deepened and changed, part of that is because if you're going to spend the time on a project, it better be worth it. It better be important. And so I think so much more about the kinds of work I want to do. Like the bar has just been raised on how I want to invest my time and energy And so usually I'm working on something that I'm proud of. There is a delight in being able to share it with them. 
That's such a good point. I actually it reminded me that I had a conversation with a friend who's a writer, also a mother of two children, pretty young right now. And unfortunately, we both kind of felt like that pressure, I think, can create such wonderful creative work. And also, though, at the same time, it can be stifling when you're not feeling as excited about a particular project or something, right? Where yes. the balance of that is like, well... I'm now for childcare yes. or I'm not with my, oh and, my and I'm not with my children. And like that kind of. That's untenable all um, of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, before where it was sort of like, oh yeah, this is just what it is. Here's where I'm spending my time. No, your time is, it takes on new meaning. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm often wrestling with like the pressure of the production. I'm curious also, cause you did mention early on in this conversation, you were talking about feeling like the time that you had in early postpartum when you were outside of the caregiving work you were doing, that it felt like this massive amount of like productivity that it's created efficiencies for you, I guess. <laughs> but I also am curious, like, I think that's for me, I'm really sitting in like, okay, like capitalism, like big pictures, structural macro level stuff where I'm saying this idea of what is productive, right? Mm. And it doesn't, parenting, motherhood, caregiving in all of its forms does not fit that structure. And so, yeah. I didn't mean productive. I had no idea what I was going to do for a living anymore. So I wasn't being productive in other ways. Like when I was racing around the house, I wasn't like sending an email. I was like cleaning up the whatever and feeling like I'd achieved something. I would open the refrigerator and just look at the milk that I had pumped just to feel like I'd accomplished something concrete in a day. (laughs) Just looking at it, just taking it in. Okay, I did that today. (laughs) And yet that is your personal accomplishment. And yet I feel like societally, we don't see any of that as productive. Oh, exactly. And that's what's so confusing about that time where like you were just walking along at maybe even like at a peak of some kind, perhaps that at a typical child rearing stage where career wise or I don't know, just in life. It's full of possibility. And yeah, it's all of a sudden I found myself having conversations with peers where we used to have like the deepest, richest conversations. And all of a sudden we're talking about things, the minutiae of the day with a baby. And it feels so important and so unimportant at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's really confusing identity wise. Is this everything? I don't know. I don't know if it's everything. Mm hmm. You're also bringing up for me that recently I've been thinking a lot about, and also I've had conversations with other moms about how we, especially of a certain generation, I think, I don't know if I'm technically, I'm like on the edge of millennial, I think. Uh Yeah. (laughs) And even millennials, like, especially as women, you know, there was this like very important feminist project to push for equality across all of American society, right? Whatever that looks like. And yet I feel like you become a mother and that idea, this goal, this idealistic way of, oh, well, women, you know, it's like the lean in sort of idea of like, well, you can do everything a man can. It's like, no, we also can do things that men can't do. (laughs) Like where is the power and where is the relevance and where, right, of that? I think my whole life, it was just like, oh yeah, you can do that. Like someone was saying, she said she went to a friend of mine, went to, grew up in San Francisco, went to a private school here. And she's like, and I remember that we used to always have this career day and they'd bring in women 
and it was a girls' school. So it was about what girls can do in the world. And they'd bring in women who were attorneys or were you know, a doctor that had done all this amazing work here. And it was all about that kind of work. And we were talking about, but like there were definitely, like she said, there were definitely women who had been alums from that school who weren't working outside of the home, but were working in the home as caregivers. And that wasn't seen as visible or seen as important or as even a viable career, if you will, right? We were talking about like, how would that have shifted if a woman were able to come and say, hey, this is the work I do on a daily basis. And it's important because I think there's just been this like delegitimizing, which I kind of curious, like actually I'm saying this and I'm like, do I want to say this? Is this like the patriarchy's way of like saying, oh, sure, feminism. Yeah, you've succeeded and not, obviously not. I don't know. As I'm saying it, I'm sort of wondering like how much of the way in which we as modern feminists have belittled that role in a sense, even within ourselves, within others, within society, to the extent that it actually then loses all of its power too. Because obviously, yes, it doesn't work. You don't get paid for it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'm just sort of like you're having this conversation. What if you did though? Like, how would it change if you did? Like, what if there was something, an economic incentive so that any primary caregiver taking care of their children in those early years was, there was universal income or whatever, something to legitimize, because that is how we legitimize career paths is through Mm -hmm. money, right? There are so many times where I felt, I think everybody, we make choices based on the economy of a path, right? Like, does this make financial sense? So if it made financial sense, then we could kind of get behind it, I think, and see it with some more legitimacy. Right now, it's you're not doing enough if you're only, if you're just a stay-at-home parent Mm -hmm. or only taking Mm -hmm. care of your kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. I hate that language. I have a friend who says, and I work, we've been talking about like, we have to remove the just from that. Yeah. Like, as you know, that is way harder. Everyone who does right. it says it's way harder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like my time working outside of the home is so much easier. Yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. it is yes. it's way easier. Oh my gosh. I can, I can go to the bathroom when I want to go to the bathroom. I don't have to constantly give and give and give. And not that we have to give, but like I love the giving and there's just an inevitability of you are caregiving for people who don't have the ability, especially in the early years. Yeah. Like now, yes, my daughter is a kindergarten. Yeah. She needs herself dressed. Yeah. Like we're working on all of that wonderful independence. And yet she also needs me emotionally for things or she wants to play with me. And I want to be able to give that and do that. And I want to be able to do it in a way that I'm not feeling like squeezed and stressed about it. And again, I feel similarly, I'm in an insanely privileged and supported position and yet still feeling that like, no, that's not okay. Right. I know. I know. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I was at, I teach acting and my students were asking about the film and we were celebrating our class. And it was this very sweet moment where they were asking about the film and they said, oh my goodness, Nora, you, you run this theater company. You have two little children. You wrote this film and you directed it. And I was getting ready. I was just getting ready to like absorb whatever compliment. And they raised their glass and they said to Nora's husband, And I just thought to myself, like, yes, I have an amazing supportive husband. Like, he's the best. He's amazing. I'm trying to imagine a room full of male professionals in which after a professional victory, they toast to the women that helped, right? There's this like, oh, I'm so lucky I have a partner that helps. There's this language just to stay at home mom or a dad who helps. Like, we're all after the same goal, right? We're raising our children. 
Now, I fortunately have a partner in this. It felt a little absurd to me, or at least funny, <laughs> to try and imagine of the scenario where the caregivers and the mothers are being celebrated for doing what's completely taken for granted and expected of them. <laughs> I was not anticipating that that was the punchline of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, my glass was in the air. I was getting ready to me, you know, <laughs> like all of these like moving mountains. Because of course, like I took Zoom calls from the bathroom to get to start fundraising for this film. I was hiding the closet for like all the revisions of my script. I have to find the in-between times, right? Because when you're working on the fringes, you don't get those fresh daylight hours. You don't get that good, juicy work time. It's really, really tricky. I mean, if we could only, like every male senator and male president, if we could only toast to the women <laughs> and or partners, right? It's not always yeah. this hat, but like the partners and the support, like what? Yeah. I guess we do when men are the ones who are supporting, but. Yeah, right. Like, oh, what an amazing dad. They took the kids out on the weekend. Like, right, right, wait, right. What? Yeah. That's parenting. <laughs> right. The weekend, you're still a parent on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I am really excited for the film. Do you have a sense for the timeline? Just so yeah, that yeah. I don't know exactly specifically, you know, once this recording, you know, is out in the world, what is the film schedule looking like? So principal photography begins on August 4th for another happy day which means right now we're in pre-production. So we're furiously and excitedly hiring and interviewing lots of people to bring them onto the team. I'm still raising money because as we bring on these new exciting attachments, like the project grows. And so we'll wrap at the beginning of September. We'll go into post-production, which means that the film will very likely be released in 2023. I just don't know exactly I'm assuming if we can really accelerate the post-production process, like the first half of 2023 would really be ideal. Okay. Wow. And can you tell listeners a little bit more in terms of that you were mentioning the cast that's affiliated? I know people get excited about that way to kind of visualize what's coming. Absolutely. The great Lauren Lapkus is starring as Joanna in Another Happy Day. Lauren Lapkus is a comedian actress who has been on Good Girls, Crashing, Orange is the New Black. She was in the Between Two Ferns movie, Jurassic World. She was the lead in The Wrong Missy with David Spade. She's absolutely hilarious. And I think she has such deep acting chops that I'm really excited for this role for her because there's such a tension in the film. And I think we'll see something from her that we haven't had the opportunity to see that I know is there. And Lauren became a mother last year. So I think she's excited to be a part of telling that story and shedding some light on that time. Tosin Morinfala is playing her husband, Shagun. Tosin is an incredible actor. And he was in that play with me where I got that phone call. And I actually talked to him about it right away where I said, hey, I got this offer for this job. I lost this job because I'm pregnant. He was right there with me. He is on Run the World, on Stars. He's a, and Julia on HBO. He's a really incredible actor and I think can bring such humanity to this very complicated husband role who isn't really sure how he fits into the picture. He's a very capable father instantly, which is really hard for Joanna, who is anything but a natural mother. So there's tension in how they care for the baby and how naturally it comes to them. And we just brought on a really exciting band to compose an original score. I probably can't say yet, but I'll Ooh, tell you later. <laughs> and we're in the process of casting Miriam right now, who's the aunt. That's a really juicy role. 
And the fabulous Carrie Coon is coming aboard to play a featured role. So it's a really strong cast. I'm so excited about this cast. And the team behind it too, the crew that's developing is so talented. I think everyone has the heart into it. In independent film, you have to want to be there. You just have to want to tell the story. So it's a self-selected group in a way. And I know we're running low on time. I know you're up ahead three hours from where I am. But just quickly, I'm curious in terms of the choice to create an independent film versus had you written the script and pitched it to bigger studios or like why that process like for you? There was a time I did not think I would have the capacity to direct a film and to get it off the ground. I'm amazed that it's here, that we're at this stage. When I wrote the script, I thought, well, yeah, absolutely. I just, I want to pitch this and I want to hand it off. I'm really happy with what this is. And I would love to see this in somebody else adding their vision to it. And the project did have some different iterations at the beginning. But as time went on, it became clear to me from feedback I was getting and from my own impulses that I really, I really had to tell this story. And as a first time feature director, you bet it's an independent film. I've got to get this thing off the ground. So no studio is saying like, oh, Nora, what you got? I'm out there pounding the pavement and saying this is important enough to really make this happen. And not only I believe in it, but all these other people believe in it and put it out there that way. You have more control in the independent world, which is great, but you also have climb every mountain from the bottom up. I feel like that's always the case. Like with more control and freedom comes just a ton more responsibility. Well, I guess like you said early on, I mean, it sounds like it's very akin to the early motherhood experience. So it, it's is. Like, it is. It's- you got your chops. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what's coming. And there is a sort of, I do feel like, especially at a certain point, once your feet are underneath you as a parent, there is a sort of confidence and kind of effort attitude that yeah. Yeah. happen. And so, yeah, that's really impressive that you've been able to do that. And from New Hampshire, nonetheless. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's not your typical market. <laughs> right. Well, I'm excited for you. And so before we formally close out the conversation, I have two questions that I ask. One, and you know, the idea is that you answer in a word or a very short sentence. One is, what is postpartum? A dream state. <sighs> A dream state. (laughs) (laughs) It was a question and then it was a statement. (laughs) A dream state? A dream state. state. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to discipline myself to not elaborate. I'm going to just stick with, I think it's a a dream state. (laughs) That's great. And then what is production? Oh, it can be so many different things. What's great is that it's this podcast, but it's also this film that I'm working on. So there's this, we're both using this word in our work. It's process. That's what I want to say. Hmm. Production at its best is process. Hmm. And process has so many. I like that because as a writer, I'm thinking process has different meanings, right? There's layers to that yeah, word. Yes. That it can, yes. Yeah. And to process something it is you are in the process, right? It's a very present moment word. It's also you focus on either the process or the product, but I think a really good product is still in process. Ooh. I have to tell myself that because I always feel in process. (laughs) Yeah, as all wonderful humans and creative projects are. 
So it's like when people are like, how did you know you were done writing that book? And I was like, because I didn't want to spend any more time with it, but it's not done. <laughs> right, right, right. It's more about me than the book. Like the book is always live. Yeah. But like I'm going to die eventually and the book will still be there. Mm. Shit, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's good. <laughs> Right. It's a reason to do things, something that will outlast you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm excited for what's coming and so can't wait to see the film. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been so great talking with you. In this episode, Nora and I talked a bit about how motherhood doesn't have a direct financial value. She asked me, what if there were an economic incentive? In an earlier episode with Sarah Shavs, in fact, the first episode of this entire season, we found ourselves pondering this question as well. I was nodding my head the entire time Nora was talking about the misalignment when it comes to capitalist rewards and artistic and caregiving work. As Nora says, because that is how we legitimize career paths, through money. One of the themes that keeps coming back in the first season of postpartum production is on the economics of being a primary caregiver. And it's clear we have a long way to go to reinvent the system. Please do check out Nora's work at norafiffer.com. That's N-O-R-A-F-I-F-F-E-R.com. And be on the lookout for her film, Another Happy Day, releasing in 2023. After this conversation, I was so inspired by Nora's work. I am now a co-executive producer of the film. And I'm extremely excited to continue to share more info about the film and what's to come for the entire team, including some amazing actors who will be joining. The film will also be one of the first, if not the first, to provide on-site caregiving, and it will cap schedules at eight-hour days to provide a healthier, family-friendly work environment for everyone involved in the film production. This is activism on the ground level, and I'm honored and excited to be part of such important projects. I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com, follow us on Instagram at Postpartum Production Podcast, and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening, and we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.